Welcome back, everyone. My name is Andrew Cox, research analyst here at FreightWaves. And today I have a unique opportunity to lead a panel of discussion between three industry experts in three different segments of the industry. That is a shipper, a forwarder, and a business operations or a freight operations outsourcing expert. So I have Michael Campisi, SVP of EFW, Estes Forwarding Worldwide. I have Eric Goldopsky, Senior Director of Operations at Horizon Fitness, a brand of Johnson Health Tech. And I also have Donna Kintop, SVP of Client Experience North America from DDC FPO. How are we, everyone? Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Thank you. Great. Good to be All here. Right. So a lot is being made right now of the rise in e-commerce, the rise of buy online, pick up in store, the low inventory levels right now. And I think I'd like to start with those inventory levels. So we at FreightWaves and many other in the industries have kind of been touting this low inventory to sales ratio as evidence that the freight bull market can continue, that, that there's still good times ahead because we're going to need those stocks replenished. Are we correct in that thought? I think eventually we'll probably uh, see inventories get back to normal levels, but I think um, I'll speak directly to my industry. Um, it's going to change um, which portion of an industry potentially will be, uh, the demand will be greatest on. Uh, for example, we, we have a, a commercial division of our business, a fitness, large fitness company um, that, that sells both to commercial and retail. And I'm on the retail side and we had about an eight to 10 year bull market basically for commercial and, and retail lagged far behind. Um, with the uh, onset of the pandemic and, and COVID, um, those inventories had switched almost overnight um, and everything was delayed. We, we produce most of our items and frankly, our entire industry produces most of our items out, out of China. Uh, so we had a, a, a lag uh, of the ability to build those products and get them to us. And we're still trying to catch up on that demand. So I think eventually as uh, things settle out, as we sort of get back to, uh, I guess what you would call uh, the new normal, um, uh, things are, are starting to open up, but uh, shifting demand is going to really change industries um, significantly as to far as far as where they're going to put those resources moving forward. And Michael, how does that impact you? Do you think I was having this conversation with another researcher here at Freightwaves on whether low inventory levels benefits forwarders, benefits trucking, or if it's a, a hurt for trucking? I mean, what, uh, what, how do you guys see it? Well, you know, on the, on the forwarding side, we, we have a, a lot of what we do uh, is, is on the expedited side. So um, I think as, as inventory levels are, are low, our customers are trying to uh, push, push those inventories forward as fast as they can. So, you know, there is a bit of a, a benefit, I think, to those of us that are in, in the, the expedited uh, side of the business. Um, you know, it, it also forces us to consider, you know, we, we, we have some, uh, some warehousing expertise as well. So allowing us to, to offer our customers the ability to place their inventory forward. Uh, and it, it impacts us because we have to start considering this change for our shippers. Uh, we have to adapt to it for sure. Well, let's bring in Donna here. She is, of course, from the DDC group, uh, specifically DDC FPO, which is the freight processing outsource, freight process outsourcing. And DDC FPO is focused on supporting back office operations for both motor carriers and intermediaries. Donna, how does the changes that Eric mentioned earlier impact how you've adapted operations uh, and how you're offering things to transportation providers? 
From a business processing outsourcing side, it's crucial to us to be able to be adaptable to our carrier uh, 3PL partners to make sure that as they modify their business model and have to adapt to the shipper's requirements, we can provide the support that they need. That's a good point. There's been a lot of disruptions. There's been, I mean, from, from all sizes, companies big to small have dealt with disruptions as we've talked about either at the ports or in China where most, most things are manufactured. You know, big decisions were have to, are having to be made at, especially I, I point to the CPG and the food, um, the food providers, because we think they weren't able to keep up with that surging demand in March. And because of that, many people are thinking, rethinking their inventory levels and how they can maybe transition to a more redundant, possibly just-in-case type of system rather than a just-in-time system. But Johnson Health Tech and, and Horizon Fitness, you guys serve a much different market. It's not a CPG or a food market. You guys are, of course, providing exercise equipment. How has Johnson, Tel Johnson Health Tech and Horizon Fitness adjusting their supply chains with regard to just-in-time versus just-in-case? We're, we're an industry that took a, a, a huge change. Again, uh, uh, we had to shift basically our entire, entire model from a, a commercial business to a home business overnight. Um, what we're doing at this point is uh, we're trying to pull forward as, as much production as we possibly can and, and get that uh, into the U.S. as quickly as we possibly can. Um, we're actually in the process of opening additional warehouses to allow us to have the flexibility to have those products available uh, to the consumer. And we're actually increasing um, our inventory as we can. We're, we're having issues keeping up with demand at this point in time, but the plan is longer term to carry uh, a little bit larger amount of stock uh, for situations just like this. Uh, again, it's kind of that adapting to the new normal, um, and, and we feel um, situations like this are going to increase people staying at home, uh, and in some cases forced to stay at home. Uh, in our industry, people still like to exercise, and that has, has really changed things. And, and we're getting some data that's telling us, um, you know, 25% of the people that have a gym membership may never go back to a gym. So we, we're taking that data and rolling that into our, our forecasts moving forward and making sure that uh, we're planning uh, significantly up over what we were looking at uh, in previously. Well, I can agree with that. Anecdotally, I haven't been to the gym in months. Uh, I, could, I don't know whether it's because I'm afraid to get sick or because I'm lazy. But either way, I definitely see the transition to in-home. You've seen the rise that Peloton's been on. Just look at their stock over the last few months. It's been ridiculous. Everybody's working out in their homes. Michael, you spent 20-plus years at, uh, at, at Estes Express Lines, so I think you can speak to this a little bit. You're now, of course, at Estes Forwarding. But how do these changes affect both Estes Express Lines and Estes Forwarding, people kept keeping more uh, inventory on hand at, at warehousing, needing more warehousing space? Yeah, it, it forces us on the, on the non-asset side. So I'm with EFW now. Uh, we're on the non-asset side. We have a few assets. We do have some warehouses. It forces us to kind of rationalize our our asset network and look at where we have those uh, those warehouses. Do we have the capacity? Um, we're getting a lot of pressure from our customers uh, to be able to provide um, more warehousing capacity. And then also uh, they want to get closer to their customers. So um, how do we adapt our model to be uh, to increase velocity, also be able to be a little more nimble 
And uh, we've been looking at a number of strategic ways to do that. So um, definitely challenging us. And then, um, you know, on the on the asset base side, on the LTL side, I think uh, sim- similar challenge, just maybe changes some of the, the freight flow and the patterns for traditional uh, LTL asset based companies because, um, you know, they're they're They find themselves in the in the final final mile business. And as, as customers are pushing those inventories closer to their customers and maybe changing the position of where they're they're putting their inventories, um, it's changing the balance of freight. So they're having to be a little more adaptable and, and, and operate in a little more more real time. Michael, I'm glad you brought that up. We'll definitely get into LTL discussions here in a little bit. The, the lines between LTL and Last Mile do seemingly continue to become less and less uh, there. They become more and more blurred. Donna, I want to ask you, as we've talked over and over again, every company has dealt with disruptions through COVID-19 of all sizes across the entire global supply chain. But how does workforce planning, how can workforce planning help protect business continuity in disruptive times like these? From an operational partnership perspective, workforce planning is super key. Um, We work with each of our individual partners and have recommended to the industry that we look outwards throughout the fourth quarter, beginning of the first quarter, uh, to look at how you're going to expand and contract your workforce. Some of the U.S. requirements and regulations at this point in time will have you handcuffed to certain staffing levels and and times of engagement. In utilizing operational partners, we have the ability to expand and contract as needed. Um, So you can plan, but not necessarily implement contingency plans, you know, to help supplement your in-house staff. Donna, you mentioned a little bit about consumer behavior there. I want to bring, I want to pass this to Eric. I want to talk a little bit about consumer behavior. We know that e-commerce has been accelerated. How much, whether it's three years or five years or 10 years, we won't know until the dust settles and we, we have a vaccine and people can return back uh, to some sort of normalcy of life. I want to ask you, what, what are you guys expecting? You've said you've made this big transition from commercial to in-home. What are you guys expecting once there is a vaccine and people can go back to their gyms? I know you said 25% may never go back to their gyms, but what are you guys preparing for? You know, we're, we're really preparing for a, a, a world that's going to be, um, frankly, much more uh, online-based. Um, uh, our, our competitors, such as Peloton and, and things that we are doing, are really driving technology uh, into our products um, that is allowing you to basically bring that gym experience home. So um, we see a, a situation where um, this pandemic has has really changed the thoughts of uh, a lot of people about one, purchasing products online, but also just the online experience in general. And so we don't see this trend for our business uh, ending anytime soon. Uh, you did mention the 25, you know, percent. We've seen a 600 percent increase this year in our business online, um, and we don't expect that. Uh, we don't expect 600 next year, but we certainly don't expect it to go backwards either. So, um, I think what we're seeing is everyone uh, in the industry adapting to a, a new a new world that we're living in. Um, and uh, I really don't think it's probably going to ever kind of go back to the, um, you know, uh, everyone going to the gym, every, everyone's trying to bring that experience home. And uh, 
um, whether it's through the e-commerce, through our experience uh, uh, of a community online, um, those are going to continue, be trends that are going to continue uh, far into the future. All right, Michael, there was the keyword, right? Everyone needs to adapt. Let's talk about that traditional LTL model for a second. You, you foreshadowed it a moment ago. Looking ahead to 2021, will the traditional approach to LTL come under fire? Well, you know, it won't come under fire. I think, you know, the LTL is still primarily a, a B2B service, right? I think when you think of an LTL carrier, you think of... Uh, uh, you think of bumping dock to dock on the pickup and delivery side. Um, you think manufacturing, distribution. What's changed is LTL carriers have really had to adapt their their services. Um, they, you know, so many things are in play now when you're delivering to the home that aren't in play when you're you're, you're in a B2B environment. Your technology has to evolve. Uh, that driver uh, customer interaction has to evolve. You have to expect that somebody's going to be there. Shooting you with a with a you know their their phone and and potentially putting you online in terms of how that experience went, um, you know that that customer experience uh, for the for the consumer is often a very personal thing. If you think about Eric's product, um, I'm pretty excited if I'm if I'm waiting for this um, uh, for for my new piece of exercise equipment to roll into my house. I want that to go really well. I'm I'm, I'm anticipating it. It's kind of a big purchase for me. So there's emotion involved, and if it doesn't go well, uh, we're probably going to hear about it online. I think, uh, you know, on the EFW side, you know, uh, players like us, one of the reasons um, non-asset players get involved is because that, that network out there that are, that are in that final mile, it's just not as predictable and reliable as, um, you know, as you see on the small pack side. If you you order a new Bluetooth headset, you have a pretty predictable experience in terms of what's going to happen in that delivery. It's not the case if you order a piece of exercise equipment. So we're really having to challenge our asset-based providers out there on their technology, their level of integration, their ability to survey, um, the type of equipment uh, that they have. And then, of course, you know, just, just even their hiring practices. So I think whether you're you're on the non-asset side, kind of on the like EFW, or you're with a big LTL company, all of that's in play because uh, so many of the things that were bought in stores and moving through DCs and DC to store, where we didn't control that final delivery, now now we're in it, and whether we like it or not, we we have to evolve. So uh, we're seeing a lot of that happen in our industry. Donna, how have those expanded services that LTLs are now offering to their customers, how has that changed what they're requesting from you at DDC FPO over the past few months? I think one of the most notable changes we've seen is the quality of the data that's required. You know, data is moving just as quickly as freight is moving. Uh, the quality of that data is critical to accurate deliveries. Uh, improving client experiences and those consumer experiences. So we've had to, you know, continuously improve what we do in the way of ensuring our turnaround times are met, that our data accuracy levels are, are as high as they can possibly be, uh, and that we're following the, the sense of urgency that each one of our accounts requires. You know, Andrew, if I, if I can add something to what, what Donna just mentioned, um, I've lived in the data world for the last uh, several years, and, and uh, whether we like it or not, in, in transportation, we're 
we've been required to become information service providers as much as we are transportation service providers. We're, um, we're, all, we're all challenged with that. And, you know, whether it's an invoice, having the magic number that it takes to get paid, um, or, you know, the, the, right, the right pickup tender number to make sure that uh, you reconcile your data if you're using, I don't care if you're an asset-based carrier or a non-asset-based uh, forwarder like we are, data is so critical. Our systems, uh, you know, carrier systems and transportation service provider systems are complex, they're challenging. Uh, the, the degree to which uh, workforce providers like, like Donna can augment what we do, can kind of overlay our technology um, to enhance it. Um, and and, if, and if, if they're there for us to be able to flex uh, from, from a workforce perspective, they have to be able to meet the same data demand. So, um, and, and one of the challenging things about that is we're dealing with more and more automation. So, uh, for example, on the freight payment side, there's so many companies that are putting so much automation in on the freight, freight payment side, which is great. It's, uh, it's very high, highly efficient, and there's a lot of automation getting dropped into transportation. A lot of it's designed to kind of manage the happy path of a, of a shipment or the happy path of, a, of that, that shipment life cycle from order to cash. But when things fall off the rails a little bit and something doesn't go quite right, those people have to come back in and be able to quickly uh, resolve that. So um, on the workforce side, I think we have to make sure that the people – uh, we hire are, are capable of, of, of dealing with some of those exceptions um, that we get as, as, as good as we can at making, making the data work for us, uh, but we certainly can't ignore the people and their ability to, uh, to work through those, those exceptions and, and uh, when things don't go quite so right. That's right. Technology always seems to make it easier until it doesn't. That, this has been a great conversation, and I want to thank all three of you, Donna, Eric, and Michael. Thank you so much. I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And everyone, stay tuned. We've got a lot ahead of you. We've got a big day planned. Everyone stay tuned and enjoy.